Psycho Circus, a KISS album podcast. One fan's opinionated analysis of every KISS release. I am your host, Ryo V, and I thank you for taking the time to join me today for Episode 6, Rock and Roll Over. Before we get into the album analysis, if you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you haven't already done so, please leave a review on iTunes. Positive reviews and subscriptions help other KISS fans to find this podcast. If you have comments, you want to provide any feedback, um, want to shoot me an email, you can reach me at psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. That's psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. I am at RyoV. That's at R-Y-O-V-I-E. On Twitter. Today's communication comes from Kissopolis on Twitter. And you can follow them at Kissopolis, at K I S S O P O L I S. And their tweet states Our first concert was in 1979. What was your first Kiss concert? And I thought this was an interesting tweet, so I decided to take the answer to, to this podcast. So, my first KISS concert didn't happen until the reunion tour in 1996. I had tried to see KISS on the Hot in the Shade tour, and I tried to see him on the Revenge tour, but I wasn't able to find someone to attend either of those concerts with me, and um, I didn't want to attend them alone. I was still young enough to think that uh, going to, your, to a concert by yourself was lame, and if you couldn't find someone to go with you, then you know you probably shouldn't go. Um, I'm much wiser now, and if I go back in time and yell at my younger self, I would. I'd tell younger Ryo that uh, he needs to suck it up and uh, and attend those concerts, both of those concerts, both of those tours. It's Kiss for crying out loud, uh, and I had never seen them. Sadly now, one of uh, my biggest musical regrets is never having seen Kiss perform without makeup. Yes, I missed the Hot in the Shade tour, I missed the Revenge tour, and as I've uh, stated on previous episodes, I felt that the Kiss convention was too expensive. So my actual first Kiss concert took place in July of 1996, where I was finally able to see the band live for the first time uh, during their reunion tour. I attended the show with friends, and I was absolutely blown away. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever witnessed, and I'm so glad that I finally got to see KISS in concert. I'm so glad that my first KISS show was at that venue at Madison Square Garden, one of my favorite places to witness a concert. Um, I am, as I said, I am regretful that I didn't go to the Hot in the Shade or the Revenge Tours, but I'm glad that I did get to see KISS uh, during the reunion tour. At Madison Square Garden. So, um, great question by Kissopolis. And again, you can follow them at Kissopolis on Twitter at K-I-S-S-O-P-O-L-I-S. Alright, so let's get into the album analysis for Rock and Roll Over. Rock and Roll Over was released on November 11th, 1976 on Casablanca Records. This was the sixth album uh, released on Casablanca, and it was the second 
of the two-record deal that KISS signed prior to the recording of Destroyer. And I went into that um, in a bit more detail regarding that record contract in the previous episode. So if you haven't tuned into that, uh, check out Episode 5, Destroyer, for more information on why it was only a two-record deal uh, that they had signed. Uh, The band members for Rock and Roll Over, Paul Stanley... Is on vocals, rhythm guitar, and acoustic guitar. Ace Freely is on lead guitar. Gene Simmons is on vocals, bass guitar, and plays rhythm guitar on Ladies Room. And Peter Chris was on the drums, percussion, and vocals. This album was produced by Eddie Kramer. And the track listing is as follows. Uh, I Want You is the first track on the record. Take Me is second. And that's followed by Calling Dr. Love, then Ladies' Room, and then Baby Driver. I love them and leave them. Mr. Speed, See You in Your Dreams, Hard Luck Woman, and the album wraps up with Making Love. The album cover for Rock and Roll Over is another cool album cover painting uh, with depiction of the band members. The cover to Rock and Roll Over... This one was painted by Michael Dorette, Doray. I'm totally butchering his name. Apologies, Michael. It's uh, Michael D-O-R-E-T. So Doray, I'm going to go with. Um, he would paint the cover to Sonic Boom many decades later. And Michael has made a nice career for himself doing logos, album covers, and design work for major sports teams, record companies, and major studios. And this obviously was the first Kiss album cover that he did. The Rock and Roll album cover, while not as good as Destroyer, is still pretty awesome and pretty unique. It contains all four heads of our heroes, with Paul and Gene on top and Ace and Peter on the bottom, but you can spin the cover around and put any two members on the top. Uh, Gene, of course, has a demon tongue flapping out of his mouth, and Ace has laser beams shooting from his eyes. Peter's has cat's eyes and fangs, and Paul just looks like he's high as a kite. I get that it's a painting, um, but that's what when I look at Paul in in the cover on the cover of Rock and Roll Over, that's what I think of. I just think, wow, Paul is high. I don't know why um, Michael Duray uh, portrayed him like that. I don't know why I see that in that portrayal, but that's what I see. I see a very high Paul Stanley. Um, their heads are on a circle that has Rock and Roll Over written around it. And on each corner of the album is the band logo. I think Rock and Roll Over is a pretty sweet album cover. And I wish more bands would put deeper thought into their album covers. Um, I realize this was released in the 70s. So the space that the final cover would be on was going to be a lot larger. uh, Due to most sales being vinyl back at the time. Um... And, you know, today, you, you can't even get a CD cover, really. It's all digital, digital, digital. So, you know, your, your your room for artwork is very small if people pay attention to it at all. But I still think that a majority of today's bands, should they should try a little harder on their on their album cover art. I get it. I get that the end result uh, and, and the space isn't what, what you used to have back in the 70s. I understand that. 
Um, but I still, I'm a big fan of album artwork. Um, when new albums are released by today's bands, I'll go online and look at the artwork. Um, you know, because most of the time, I'm, I'm like everybody else, I'm getting the record digitally. I'm hearing it on, um, for me, it's Amazon Music. Um, but, you know, there's Spotify, there's iTunes, there's, there's Pandora's. However people get their music digitally today, um, and I understand that. But I still like to see a good album cover. So I'll go online and look for the album artwork and look for the linear notes and look for the things uh, that I don't get anymore. Liner notes, I should say. Look for the things I don't get anymore. Um, you know, I like to still enjoy an album when it's released in that way. Enjoy the artwork, enjoy the interior, enjoy the credits, enjoy the, everything that the album has to offer. And it's just, you know, this is old man V talking, you know, the curmudgeon that comes out once in a while. It's it's not the same today as it was when I was growing up. I understand things change, things things get different. You know, technology has, has come a long way and has helped us in many ways. Um, you know, but it, it, for every add-on, there's a takeaway. And so, you know, that's the takeaway. You don't get beautiful rendered artwork like you did back in the 70s and 80s when, when you had all that vinyl space, the, the cover of the album, to fill. So, you know, take the good with the bad. I can access almost any song I can possibly think of. That's good. I don't get the artwork and the interior notes. That's bad. So... I'll take the good with the bad. Um, I'd rather have access to almost any song that I can think of. Although, I did have a CD collection of over 3,000 CDs, so I pretty much had access to almost any song I can think of. But that's for a totally different show, not for this. I, uh, I have gone off on a tangent, and I apologize, um, but... I'm sure, as you know by now, I've been known to do that for time to, from time to time, and I'm sure I will continue to do so throughout uh, the life of this podcast. So let's get to the introduction to Rock and Roll Over. Rock and Roll Over was the follow-up to Kiss's smash studio album Destroyer. So upon its release, expectations were very high. Kiss did not want to work with Bob Ezrin again for this album. So instead, they were paired with Eddie Kramer. Kramer had previously produced Alive, but Rock and Roll Over was the first studio album that he was slated to produce with the band. And however, given the success of Alive, um, how successful Alive was, there was little doubt that Kramer was going to be okay doing this record. And while Rock and Roll Over is not Destroyer, it's still a pretty fantastic record. And I understand, you know, based on what I've read and what I've seen, I understand why Kiss didn't want to work with Bob Ezrin again. Apparently, he put them through hell. Now, there was payoff for going through that hell. It was one of the best, to me, the best Kiss album ever released, ever recorded. Um... Studio album wise, it shot them through the stratosphere. Yes, Alive is the album that put them through the map and got them all the record sales, but Destroyer is the album that really pushed them to the next level so that they would become Kiss as opposed to Kiss. Um, so, you know, Destroyer, Bob Ezrin gets a lot of credit for that, as he should, but like I said, I, if I'm in Kiss and I've been through that boot camp and I've been through that hell, I don't want to go through it a second time. So, 
I understand saying, no, I don't want to work with Bob Ezrin. And so uh, Eddie Kramer came in, and it's somebody they knew and they were familiar with, so they were okay with that. Um, I think that rock and roll over suffers from is, is the forgotten syndrome. So there's a lot of lost classic songs on this record, and of the first six studio albums the band released, I think rock and roll over may be the one that's least remembered. Um, and I get it, it's up against some serious competition. And you look at those first six studio albums, any one of them could be considered the best Kiss album. They're all neck and neck. They're all phenomenal. They're all amazing. Um, so it's easy to understand that Rock and Roll Over could get lost in the mix. But it's also a shame at the same time because Rock and Roll Over is a masterful album it's a a fantastic record but it was released at a time when all the kiss records were fantastic so when you have the best of the best something has to be the worst of the best and i'm not saying rock and roll over is the worst of the best but i'm saying that i can understand how it's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle and how people forget about it or forget about a lot of the songs on on this record um when you have when you have siblings that shine as much as the first six kiss studio albums did um you know five other albums that are so fantastic you know you're like the third manning brother isn't that the joke there's a third manning brother he's not peyton and he's not eli so maybe rock and roll over is is you know is akin to the third manning brother Alright, let's look at the tracks on Rock and Roll Over. So the opening song for this record is I Want You. And this was written by Paul Stanley, and it's sung by Paul Stanley. And let's face it, this is a terrific, terrific opener. I love the acoustic guitar. I love Paul's soft voice to begin the song. And then I love how it kicks in with the chorus, and I Want You... Um, I Want You is a pretty complex song as far as Kiss songs go. There's a lot of musical changes. There's more detailed drum beats and fills. There's a solid guitar solo. And this song strays away from the basic verse-chorus-verse that Kiss had dominated their previous albums with. I Want You is a great way to set up what the rest of Rock and Roll Over is going to be. The lyrics show that Kiss was really progressing in that department, meaning progressing lyrically. Um, I mean, they aren't Shakespeare, but they're more than just two lines in a chorus, which is an incredible journey in lyric land for, for this band. I Want You also captures Paul as the romantic of the band. By this point in their career, it was pretty evident that Paul was the lover of the group, and I Want You is another showcase for this. Uh, this song went on to have pretty solid life in the lure of Kiss songs. Uh, it would appear on Alive 2 as well as Double Platinum and would be performed at many Kiss concerts throughout the years. I've always thought this was a solid Kiss song and one of the more enjoyable Paul Stanley songs from the Kiss catalog, especially the live version from the 70s. Um, so to me, I Want You is it's classic Kiss for sure, there's there's no denying that, and it is a great way to start a record. 
The next song is Take Me, and Take Me was written by Paul Stanley and Sean Delaney, and it's sung by Paul Stanley. Take Me goes back to the comfort zone for Kiss. It's a verse-chorus-verse song with only two verses. It's back to the basics of sex. Uh, The opening line, put your hand in my pocket and grab onto my rocket. Uh, I'm sure that was repeated uh, by many a young male Kiss fan. Uh, and the lyrics of uh, fantasies all over. Um, in fact, this whole song is a young man's fantasy. Uh, sitting in the back, her head down in my lap, the moonlight shining down on her hair. Now, this could just be an innocent head-on-the-lap scenario. Uh, we watched the full moon on Lover's Lane. Uh, but most of us young men were thinking that something else was happening out there on Lover's Lane. And it wasn't just resting a pretty head on a lap. Um, full disclosure here. I always thought the lyric was, Put your hand in my pocket, grab onto my rocket. Feels so good to see you, Lucille. It wasn't until years later that I learned the actual lyric is feels so good to see you receive. Um, I'm sure there's several Kiss songs where I got the lyrics wrong, and when, when I remember them, I'll call them out. This one stands out in my memory because I still find myself singing Lucille instead of receive. Uh, so, you know, shame on me. Uh, but when I was growing up with these songs, we didn't have the benefit of the internet to to look up the lyrics, and you, the cassettes didn't have the lyrics printed in them. Uh, you know, I bought these all on cassette back in the day. So you you learn the song by just listening to it over and over and over again. Um, so so that's probably why I still sing "Feels So Good to See You, Lucille." But it's "Feels So Good to See You Receive." Take Me is the first song that Sean Delaney co-wrote for Kiss. He would co-write three songs on Rock and Roll Over, and he would co-write two of the five new studio tracks on Alive 2. Um, Delaney was heavily involved in the band during the early years, and sometimes he is referred to as the fifth member of Kiss due to how much involvement he actually had. Uh, But he did co-write Take Me with Paul Stanley. Take Me is an okay song. It's not really one of my favorites, but it's not horrible at all. It's a song that I usually forget about until I hear it, and then I appreciate it while it's on, and then I promptly forget about it again until the next time I hear it. So uh, I'd call it an average Kiss song, perhaps a tad below average for the first six studio albums, but average song. You know, average Kiss is still better than... Above average, most other bands. So, uh, Take Me was the B-side to the Calling Dr. Love single. And with that, let's get to Calling Dr. Love, which is the next song on the record. So, Calling Dr. Love was written by Gene Simmons and sung by Gene Simmons. And it's an extreme Kiss staple that has lived on at almost every Kiss concert since the song was recorded in 1976 and released as a single in 1977. The single peaked at number 16 on the Billboard charts, which was pretty high for a Kiss song. And while it didn't score in the top 10 of the charts, Calling Dr. Love may be one of the most notable Kiss songs after Rock and Roll All Night. It's certainly been played enough to be well-known, and it's featured on a lot of the KISS Live albums and a lot of the KISS compilation albums. 
Um, this song even got a second life in commercials. In 2010, the song was featured, along with Gene Simmons and the band, in a couple of uh, Cherry Dr. Pepper ads. In one ad, Gene is sitting with models all around him, of course, talking about how Cherry Dr. Pepper has a kiss of cherry flavor. Uh, then his son Nick, Nick Simmons, walks out and chastises him for the way he says kiss. Uh, it's a pretty funny commercial, uh, especially for anyone who watched Family Jewels, Gene Simmons' Family Jewels, and knows the relationship between Gene and Nick. Um, this, you know, this went on during the whole series uh, of Gene Simmons' Family Jewels, where you know Nick just kind of had fun teasing his dad, and Gene was pretty good-natured about it. So uh, I laughed at this commercial. Um, I thought it was was pretty uh, innovative and funny, and um, definitely enjoyable, you know. Uh, I don't know that I ever bought Cherry Dr. Pepper because of it, but I did. I did like the commercial. Um, the other commercial, which aired uh, during the Super Bowl, features Gene and Paul backstage at a concert talking about how Cherry Dr. Pepper has a little kiss of cherry. And then the band uh, then takes the stage with Mini Kiss. Um, both of these commercials are worth looking up on YouTube if you have a couple extra minutes to spare and you haven't seen them. Uh, they're, or even if you have seen them but you haven't seen them in a while, they're definitely worth worth the investment. Uh, you know, you can just Google Cherry Dr. Pepper Kiss uh, or put that into the YouTube search engine and uh, both of these commercials will come up for you. Um, as for the song itself, it's classic for a reason. Calling Dr. Love is a tremendous Kiss song. It's another worship me because I am Gene type of song where the ladies must bow down to his greatness. And it's also another of the simple verse, chorus, verse style of songs that Kiss did a lot in the 70s. Two verses and a plethora of repeating chorus. And the song's ripe with sexual innuendos and overtones. But that doesn't make it any less enjoyable. Um, Calling Dr. Love has a hook that just sucks the listener in and captures their ear. And it's definitely a fun song to listen to. And a fun song to sing along to at a KISS concert. Um, and I'll share I'll share a little aside story here um, for Calling Dr. Love and me. So in the mid-90s, I worked for an insurance company. And screensavers were still kind of new. So you didn't have all the elaborate screensavers that you have now, you know, where you could put your pictures on and make a whole slideshow collage and, and yada, yada, yada. You know, screensavers were very primitive. You had, like, um, I don't even know, almost Atari-looking graphics that would circle around the screen and, and, you know, make Tron-like effects if you wanted that. But one of the options you had in screensavers was you could type in a little message and use that as your screensaver. So, you know, you could type in, like, um, I'll be back. And, and, and when your screensaver came on, that would scroll across your screen. So I thought this was really cool. And again, it's mid-90s. This was innovative at the time, especially for me. So um, I put in as my screensaver, even though I'm full of sin, in the end, you'll let me in. And I thought that was really cool. I was, oh, I get to put this kiss reference in here and, and not realizing I'm at work. Um, but I put that as my screensaver. I was, oh, in the end, even though I'm full of sin, in the end, you'll let me in. I was like, this is great. It's it's great reference to kiss. You know, it, it recalls one of my favorite songs. And every time my screensaver goes on, I can look at this lyric and, and just, you know, think back to, to kiss and how cool this is. Well, 
I put it up there, and a day or two later, I went out to lunch, and I came back from lunch, and there's a post-it note on my computer from my boss, who was vice president of the company. And it said, I'll never forget this, it said, let's try to keep the screensavers to a professional level. And that was all it said. So basically he was saying, um, don't be putting these kind of lyrics on your screensaver. Once again, Kiss is getting trashed by uh, the stuffy shirt and tie crowd. But I got the message. I took it down. Um, I don't remember what I put in its place. Um, if anything, maybe I just went back to the basic Tron screensaver. But um, that oh, I always remember that. Uh, it was kind of funny that uh, it was offensive. Even though I'm full of sin, in the end, you'll let me in. Um, I guess it was viewed as offensive by some, and therefore I had to change it. So... Uh, just a little side story. I got a kick out of it. Hopefully, you did as well. Next song up on Rock and Roll Over is Ladies Room. This was written by Gene Simmons. This was sung by Gene Simmons. And personally, I think that Ladies Room is a better song than Calling Dr. Love. But it definitely didn't get the notoriety that Calling Dr. Love got. And it also didn't make my screensaver. So uh, the studio version is a little slower. It's not as heavy as the live version, but it's still an exceptional song. Uh, it's a slight departure from their normal song structure, as Lady Room, a Lady's Room adds a bridge after the verse. So you have verse, bridge, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus. Um, it's classic Gene song. The ladies want him, and Gene is willing to oblige. So let's just go and meet in the ladies' room for some unadulterated fun. Gene's ego was really shining through on songs by this point in the band's career um, as their fame was skyrocketing and hitting hitting its peak. And Gene certainly portrayed that in a lot of the songs that he wrote. Ladies' Room has great music. It's another solid solo by Ace. It has spectacular drums and bass lines and great vocals by Gene. The live version is definitely superior, but the studio version, is uh, that's first class for sure. Uh, one thing I never understood about this song is the lyric, For my money, you can't be too soon. What does that mean exactly? Does that mean that Gene's paying? We debated something similar in episode 3 when we discussed Ladies in Waiting. And here's another ladies song where Gene is mentioning money. Maybe he is paying to get some. Uh, or maybe the ladies were paying him. Either way, I, I never understood the line, for my money, you can't be too soon. The full line states, you're such a jewel in the rough, you want to show me your stuff. For my money, you can't be too soon. So to me, that says, I'm paying to see your stuff. If I were Eddie Kramer, I might have pointed that out to Gene, but so be it. The line is there forever to stay, and you can't be too soon indeed. Uh, and hey, if you have thoughts on, on what that line translates to or what that line really means, by all means, shoot me an email, psychocircus, uh, excuse me, psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter at Ryle V, R-Y-O-V-I-E, on Twitter. Give me your thoughts and opinions on that, um, but that's just that's just my take on it. Uh, next song on the record is Baby Driver, and this was written by Peter Chris and Stan Penridge, and um, sung, of course, by Peter Chris. 
And this is Peter's first lead vocal song on Rock and Roll Over, and another song that he co-wrote with Stan Penridge. Uh, it's the only song that Peter got on the album, as Hard Luck Woman was written by Paul, even though Peter sung it. And um, he, he, this was his only written contribution. I like Peter's vocals on Baby Driver a lot, that deep, scratchy singing uh, it's, it's actually pretty awesome to me um, and I've always liked the opening with the short, short riff bursts from the guitar that lead into Peter's vocals uh, it was just a cool way to open the song and while I like Baby Driver and I think it's a great song I do recognize that the lyrics are a little weak and they're a little choppy it's hard to know precisely what this song is about I've always thought it was about a long-haul truck driver that travels cross-country on a regular basis. Um, Yet, I also realize that that doesn't really fit the theme of Kiss songs. But that that was my take on it. Stan Penridge got co-writing credit for this song, as he would for most of the Peter Criss contributions to Kiss albums, as well as Peter's solo album. I do like the song Baby Driver for its beats and vocals, and primarily because it's a Kiss song, but it is a weak track. It's definitely the weakest song on Rock and Roll Over, and probably the weakest song on the second Big Three records, that being Destroyer, Rock and Roll Over, Love Gun. But weak doesn't mean terrible. Uh, The terrible songs show up on Peter Chris's solo album, but uh, Baby Driver is far and away superior to any song that appears on that record. Uh, But we'll get to that album uh, in due time. (laughs) We'll we'll cover that one when it's time comes. Um, So, moving on. The next song on the album is Love Em and Leave Em. This was written by Gene Simmons, and it was sung by Gene Simmons, And this is another one of those forgotten gems in the lure of the Kiss world. There's a few songs on the first six studio albums that are grand, but have long been forgotten for one reason or another. And Love Em and Leave Em is one of those songs. Personally, this is my favorite track on Rock and Roll Over. I think the main reason for that is because this is a song that I got into later in the Kiss years. Uh, Like most albums, most, excuse me, like most Kiss albums prior to Crazy Nights, Rock and Roll Over is an album that I first purchased in high school. Uh, I believe I got this one my freshman year. I did get a lot of Kiss albums my freshman year, like 8th grade and freshman year. So I'm always a little iffy on when I first got these albums. Um, But I think I got this one my freshman year of high school. And on the first few spins, I got into the hits from the album, obviously. Like Making Love, I Want You, Hard Luck Woman. And I enjoyed the album overall. But I focused more on on the bigger hits. But then sometime in the mid-90s, I was going through my KISS collection with a passion. Um, By this time in my life, I was starting to acquire a lot of rare bootlegs, outtakes, demos. um, And I was re-listening to the entire KISS catalog up until that point, which at that point, the latest release was Alive 3. So upon re-listening to Rock and Roll Over, 
I realized what a great gem Love Him and Leave Him was. And I, I just sat there and wondered why I had not paid attention to this song prior to that. And from that point on, I became a huge fan, and it's become my favorite rock and roll over track. Love Him and Leave Him is just another Gene Ode to Women song. Uh, I sleep with women, and then I leave them. And if you want to see me tonight, you better check to make sure it's okay, because I might have another girl in the room. Um, and as a teenage boy, or even as a mid-twenties male, this was pure poetry to me. I mean, what guy wouldn't want to be Gene living that kind of lifestyle? I know I did, and that's probably why I like this song so much. Musically, it's just average. It's nothing spectacular. Nothing jumps out. Same goes for the lyrics. As I've probably beat this to death over these first few episodes, but lyrically, Kiss stinks. <laughs> just, they're never going to be mistaken for Bob Dylan, I can tell you that. Um, so musically and lyrically, it's average. It's not spectacular. It's 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 it, it, To me, it's a fun song. And as I've said before, average Kiss is still a heck of a lot better than what's considered excellent rock music these days. Um, but Love Them and Leave Them is a fun song, and that's why I like it so much. It's an average, like I said, it's an average song. Musically, lyrically, it's average. But it spoke to me at a time when I was really seeking out deeper cut on Kiss albums and deeper Kiss songs and this one jumped out and spoke to me and once once it uh, ingrained itself inside of me and, and tethered to my heart it was never going to be pulled away so I'll, I'll never not love this song it'll never not be one of my favorite or my favorite song on Rock and Roll Over because it's already endeared itself to me so again average song but one that i love dearly all right next up after love em and leave em is mr speed this song was written by paul stanley and sean delaney and it was sung by paul stanley this is another forgotten gem another song that's co-written by sean delaney and another song that goes back to the comfort zone for Kiss. Although the lyrics to Mr. Speed suggest that this should be a song Gene is singing instead of Paul, it's a tale of how the female muse of the song just isn't good enough for the master, highlighted by lyrics like, You ain't enough lady to keep the master satisfied, and made it clear, but baby, you can't even see me. The ego trip of the lyrics are very telling. Uh, Self-infatuation aside, Mr. Speed's a great song with exceptional riffs and exceptional solos. And while the song never received any accolades in the world of Kiss music, it is truly an amazing tune that deserves more recognition than it's gotten. Interesting fun fact, there's a Kiss tribute band called Mr. Speed. I've never seen them. Uh, but I do know they exist, and I'm not sure that out of all the Kiss songs available that I would have chosen Mr. Speed to be the name of my tribute band, um, but I'm sure there's worse choices, like any song off of Peter's solo record. Um, Mr. Speed does suffer from the standard safe fallback of verse-chorus-verse with only two verses, and the lyrics aren't very deep, especially when considered against the lyrics contained on the uh, second Big Three albums. 
Destroyer, Rock and Roll Over, and Love Gun. But like most Kiss songs, it's a forgivable offense because the song is just so damn cool. And um, again, it's another Mr. Speed is another deep cut that has long since been forgotten. I think I think the band might have dusted this off for a Kiss Cruise. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm too lazy to look it up right now. Um, I, I could, but um, I'm pretty sure they played this for one of the Kiss Cruises. Uh, but other than that, Mr. Speed has not gotten any love since it came out on Rock and Roll Over. Next song on the album is See You in Your Dreams. And this was written by Gene Simmons. And this was sung by Gene Simmons. And See You in Your Dreams has an interesting history in the world of Kiss, as it is one of the few Kiss songs that was covered on a Kiss member solo album. Uh, Hide Your Heart is the only other one that comes to mind that's covered on a Kiss solo album. And then, of course, Beth was covered by Eric Carr on Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits. Um, But See You in Your Dreams was the first Kiss song to be covered on a Kiss solo album. Or the first Kiss song to be covered by a member of Kiss, I guess, is an easier way to put that. Um, Supposedly, Gene wasn't happy with the way the Rock and Roll Over version came out. And that's why he decided to re-record it for his solo album. Um, I personally tend to think that he didn't have enough songs to fill out his solo album, so he chose a song that he had already done in order to get enough material for his solo record, but that's just my opinion. Speculation. Um, And we can debate that in more detail when we get to the Gene Simmons episode of the Psycho Circus podcast. Overall, See You in Your Dreams is a decent song, but it's not a great song. It's a little weak. It's not horrible. It's not a song that I would label as unlistenable. Uh, It's not a song I would turn off or skip if it came on the radio. I guess I like See You in Your Dreams, and I think it's a fun song. However, it's not a strong song. The lyrics are exceptionally weak, even by early Kiss Sanders, and it's very repetitive structure of See You, Feel You, In Your Dreams Tonight, Dreams Tonight. Repeat, repeat, repeat. There are two other couplets, and that's the entirety of the lyrics for See You in Your Dreams. So it's definitely not a forgotten gem, because it's not really a gem at all. It's a deep-cut song buried on the second side of this album, pretty much for good reason, that would be revisited for Gene's solo album and still wouldn't get much attention after that, and rightfully so. Doesn't really deserve much attention. Again, it's not a horrible song. It's not unlistenable. It's not a good song. Uh, Hard Luck Woman is up next. And this is written by Paul Stanley. And this was sung by Peter Chris. And Hard Luck Woman was released as the first song from the album. It's another Peter Chris sung ballad, although he did not write this one. I absolutely love the acoustic guitar intro that kicks this song off. Um, I think it's one of the coolest things in the history of Kiss songs. And while it was something that the band would lean heavily on in the late 80s and early 90s, as a lot of bands did at that time, not just Kiss, um, at the time of release for Rock and Roll Over, Kiss hadn't done many intros like this. They had the rock bottom intro, which is amazing in its own right. But that really was about it. Um, 
They didn't have acoustic intros that led into songs up until this point. The tale behind Hard Luck Woman is that Paul Stanley wrote it, and he wanted to have Rod Stewart sing it. Now, I don't know if that means he wanted to have Rod Stewart sing it on the record, or if he just wanted to give the song to Rod Stewart. Um, I've never been entirely clear about that. But there's versions of the story that claim Paul wanted to give the song to Rod Stewart, and then Peter Chris said, uh, hey, what about me? You have a ballad singer over here. Hello, I just did Beth. Um, why don't I sing this song? Then there's other versions that state that Gene instructed Paul to have Peter sing the song. So Gene, Gene after uh, Paul was going to give the song away, Gene went to Paul and said, um, why don't we have Peter do this one? Whatever the truth is, it's somewhere in the middle, I'm sure. Um, one thing is for sure, I would absolutely love to hear a Rod Stewart version of Hard Luck Woman. Garth Brooks did a tremendous cover for the Kiss My Ass album. And Paul sang an excellent, excellent version during the convention tour. Um, and Peter's version of Rock and Roll Over is magnificent in its own right. Excuse me, but I would love to hear Rod Stewart's version of this song. Hard Luck Woman's a solid song. I'm surprised that the song did not chart higher than it did. It only peaked at number 15 on the Billboard charts. Um, As stated, it was released as the first single from Rock and Roll Over. Uh, Mr. Speed was the B-side. And this is the softer side of Kiss. And after the smash success that was Beth, it's easy to understand why Kiss started writing more ballads. Uh, The lyrics are deeper than most as, as well, which only adds to the strength of the song. And while it's not my favorite song on Rock and Roll Over, which I've already stated, that's Love Em and Leave Em, I do think it's the strongest song on Rock and Roll Over, which I've also already stated that while I love Love Him and Leave Him, I realize it's not a very strong song. Hard Luck Woman is a magnificent, memorable song that I always love to hear whenever it's being played. Uh, It's also a song that I wish Kiss would revisit for some of their current tours and have Paul Stanley sing the lead vocals on it. He wrote the song, he sang the lead vocals for in the mid-90s, why not do it again for current tours? Um, I think that would be absolutely amazing, but I also think their entire set list needs a complete revamping. And as I've stated in other episodes, and I'm sure I'll state again in many future episodes, that's a topic for another day. That's an episode for another day. And I think I'm just going to need to record the set list episode one day and get this get this off my chest on, on how much they really need to... Uh, revamp the current state of their set lists. Alright, the last song on Rock and Roll Over is Making Love. Uh, This song wraps up the record. And this was written by Paul Stanley and Sean Delaney. And it was sung by Paul Stanley. Personally, I think Making Love's a bit overrated. And I don't think it's as grand a song as a lot of KISS fans think. Perhaps I'm a bit jaded, but to me, Making Love is another one of those Kiss songs that just didn't do anything for me. I don't hate it. Um, As I've stated several times, I'm sure, there's very few Kiss songs that I actually hate. But 
I don't think Making Love is a great song. I like the solos, the, and I like the beat. But overall, I think it's just, it's a meh song for me. Yeah, I can take it or leave it, I suppose. It's also another song with limited and weak lyrics and shoehorned rhymes. Um, that might be the biggest reason I don't like the song. I'm not a fan of shoehorning at all. If the lyrics don't flow naturally, if the lyrics don't work, if they don't fit, I've always felt that the artist should just scrap it and try and find something better. Um, in the case of Making Love, Paul and Sean didn't follow that rule, and we ended up getting forced lyrics. Uh, she says, stop, baby, go, go, go. Indeed. Terrible. Get rid of it. <laughs> this song would go on to appear on Alive 2. It would go on to appear uh, on Double Platinum, which, when we get to that episode, I'll argue that there's several other songs that could be on there instead of Making Love, um, but cover that when we get to the double platinum episode um and then making love would receive some extended life on the live circuit recently being played within the last five years i think kiss has played this song live um on a tour so and it got a little more life than i think it deserved but again it's not an awful song it just doesn't really do anything for me so so that's it for this episode thank you for listening um, if you have a comment to share, you got something you want to say, you got an opinion you want to throw my way, email me, please, at psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. That's psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. Please go to iTunes and leave a review. Every review helps. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast. Every subscription helps. Uh, really trying to get the word out there. Um, you know, if you like this podcast, blast it out on Twitter, blast it out on Facebook, tell your friends, get it out on social media, let other Kiss fans know that this podcast is here. Um, really, you know, in this early stage, episode six, just trying to grow the audience. So word of mouth is, is going to be a huge, huge help for me. And um, reviews and subscriptions are also a huge help. Um, and that's all I want to do. I just I want to get this podcast out to as many KISS fans as possible. No, I do not make any money on this. This is really just a labor of love. Uh, you can also check out my, my blog, rockandrollguru.blogspot.com, if you want to see my written works. Uh, it's R-O-C-K-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-G-U-R-U dot blogspot.com rock and roll guru dot blogspot.com and you can follow me on twitter i'm at ryo v at r-y-o-v-i-e on twitter and um i'm on twitter a lot so you know i i i tweet a few times a day but i read a lot of tweets um and i spend a lot a lot more time on twitter than i should so um you want to connect you can hit me up at ryo v on twitter so be sure to tune in next time um when I cover Love Gun. And until then, the carnival has just Dr. begun. Cherry. It has a kiss of cherry flavor. This devilish elixir has a kiss Dad. of cherry. Dad. It's not kiss. It's kiss of cherry. It's amazingly smooth. Be smooth. Dr. Pepper Cherry is amazingly smooth. <laughs> Trust me, I'm a doctor. 